You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Friday, August 7, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington in New York, joined shortly by our founder and CEO, Rao Pell. But first, with the day's stories, Jack Farley. Thanks, Ash. The BLS released their July MSIT this morning, and the non-farm payrolls rose 1.76 million in July, beating the median estimate of 1.48 million. The growth in the leisure and hospitality sector, as well as retail, was particularly robust. Since the trough in April, the U.S. job market has added about 9.3 million jobs. And yet it remains the case that the total payrolls are still short of February levels by a staggering 12.88 million. So while we may be on the road to recovery, we're not even halfway there yet. The BLS also reported the latest unemployment rates, which did reflect the gains seen in the non-farm payrolls. The U3 unemployment rate fell to 10.2%, lower than the 10.6% that was expected. But the labor participation rate came in lower than expected, indicating that there's still some murkiness behind those non-farm payroll numbers. The labor market flow data shows that more than 3 million jobless workers are leaving the labor force every month, and this is causing what's known as shadow unemployment. Moreover, this data was collected the week of July 12th to July 18th, which was just as the high-frequency data signaled that the recovery was slowing down, if not reversing. For example, the Oxford Recovery Index has plateaued. If you look at data from payroll service providers, new hirings have largely ground to a halt. And then mobile phone data shows that retail foot traffic is back on the decline. A lot to think about for sure. For analysis on this and more, let's go back to Ash and someone who's making his much-anticipated return to the daily briefing, Real Vision CEO, Rao Pal. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Jack. Welcome back, Raoul. It's good to be here, Ash. I always love your intro. It's like, it's so exciting. I'm waiting for the boom, 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 boom. <laughs> it's Friday, it's the daily briefing, but I'm excited to be here. I was off last week. Uh, as we, uh, you and I were talking about off camera, off means just not in 12 meetings, but in exactly the same environment that I've been in for the rest of the time, as you have. Yeah, exactly. Living in the studio, so to speak, <laughs> literally and metaphorically. Yeah. Uh, so, Raoul, uh, what have you been thinking about while you've been off? I know when you take time off, you're still thinking probably at a deeper level because you're not involved on the day to day stuff. So you're thinking big picture. What are your big picture thoughts on what's been happening the last couple of weeks? Well, one of the things I need to set aside time for and that was last weekend was because i write global macro investor so it gives me the chance to filter out everything else and dump what's in my head out on paper and often if i've got some sense of confusion when i go through the writing process it clarifies or crystallizes into something clearer so look i mean everybody asks me now all the time what's your view on the dollar has it changed and you know, having that clarity of sitting down writing GMI, I just realized I don't think it's changed. And I think this is all part of still of the same story, which is of dollar strength. 
and a correction within it. I want to show some charts just so I can show people what I'm talking about because I know I get asked the same question on Twitter, everywhere. Have you changed your view on the dollar? Isn't the dollar collapsing? So the first chart is the DXY. Very simply, the long-term uptrend, I don't think it's broken it. I think people have drawn the shorter-term trend line. I think if I keep scrolling forward to some charts, there's a repeat of 1999 going on. 1999, we did this kind of 13-wave pattern. So look at that in that contextualization of what it did. I think we're at point 12, which was this correction phase that looked like it was going to break the uptrend and everybody got really bearish on the dollar. This was in the reflation part of 1999 before the deflationary recession part started and the dollar exploded higher. The current chart pattern is the same, but just longer and more stretched out. It's a much longer dollar cycle. So there's the 12th part with part 13 left to come. And if I show you both of the charts together, here's the two charts. One is a squashed up version of the other. Of course I could be wrong. Maybe it's never gonna work. But one thing I do know is there is, and this is all from uh, Global Macro Investor, there's the DXY and the RSI. This is the lowest RSI, I think, in the entire history of the DXY. It's massively oversold and everybody's short and everybody's convinced the dollar's going to collapse. I'm not convinced yet and I don't think it's got to those levels. So those, that's one of the things that I've been thinking about and I, I don't think things have changed. In GMI, I run through numbers of reasons why that's unlikely to be the case that things have changed so let's wait and see you know i can be wrong and i'm happy to change my mind if i am but i don't think i am yet well you know Raul, it also harkens back to something that we've talked about a lot on this program which is it really does matter greatly what time horizon you're looking at when people are looking at dxy on a 90-day chart it looks very different than when you look at it on a five-year chart and so it's a question of the the tactical versus the long term and the strategic whatever your view is yeah, and also it's another thing I've been explaining to people. It's also a matter of portfolio construction. People are very quick to look at every single trade isolated. And I did a whole piece on this, and many people have been getting emails about um, how you build portfolios and how you think about time horizon, how you think about stop losses, all of these things. These are really important. But portfolio is something a lot of people don't think about because they look at everything in isolation. But we all know that there's something called portfolio effect. And that's when you have offsetting trades that allow you to take more risk, even though not all parts of your portfolio work. It's why the long short equity business is a very big game. Nobody expects all the shorts to go down, all the longs to go up. It's not how the game works. And it's the same with this. So yes, my dollar bet's not been working for the last three months. It's been working for numerous years. So with, within my time horizon, it's normal, but I have a lot of offsetting trades. So you know whether it was silver or Bitcoin or Ethereum or bonds or whatever. So within an overall portfolio, it actually allows you to take risk. Well, you just touched on uh, some of the hottest uh, topics right now in, in, in the space, right? When you're talking about Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, gold and silver. Where do you want to begin? I think it's all part of the same narrative. And this is the narrative that I've been talking about on the Real Vision Daily Briefing as I've been trying to guide people from this hope event into the solvent insolvency event which is the narrative that I think I call the unfolding, and I think is what is playing out. So again, if people aren't sure what I'm talking about, there's a lot of cheerleading over what the stock market's doing. But stand back, I'm looking at my screen in front of me, 
the best performing sector in the S&P, or not in the S&P, the best performing sector in the US is gold miners. The mm. worst performing sector, banks. If that's not telling you something, then I don't know what is. It's telling you there is an issue with credit or debt, and therefore there is a safety sort in gold, and that's the same with the silver trade, and same with the Bitcoin trade, and the banks and the big borrowers of triple B equities like AT&T and stuff look terrible. That's what the market's telling us. We've also got the central banks continuing to print. So here's an interesting thing for you. We're all buying gold and silver and Bitcoin, again, to offset that. So we've got a reason why so many people are buying it, why they're so strong. And they've been great trades. But interesting enough, when I look at the G4, so the biggest four central banks in the world, their balance sheet, and I look at it in terms of gold, gold has still underperformed the balance sheet by 50%. The, the central bank balance sheet has grown faster. So in theory, your purchasing power potentially has fallen faster. Now, right. I know it's not a straight trade-off. But it's a equities framework have, to look at it. It's a way to think about it. Yeah, equities have done a bit better. The S&P's done okay, but still has massively underperformed. In fact, there is only one asset in the entire world that has more than offset the balance sheet, and it's Bitcoin. I knew exactly where you were And going. when you look at the log chart of the balance sheets and the log chart of Bitcoin, they look very similar. You know, and obvious when Bitcoin is going through quantitative tightening, when the central banks are going through quantitative easing at the same time, right. that's a heady mix. And Bitcoin is, people don't, I don't think even realize that. I only realized it when I was starting to have this hunch, hunch that almost no trade matters except Bitcoin at this point. Almost everything is an inferior trade to Bitcoin. Um, and so I started testing that hypothesis. And I've not even written this up yet. So this is people are hearing this for the first time. And I've alluded to it on Twitter. But I looked at Bitcoin versus everything. And there is nothing except currently Ethereum. And that's in a shorter term time horizon because it, it was underperforming massively. But on any meaningful time horizon, whether it's one year, two year, three year, four year, five year, six year, Bitcoin's basically outperforming everything and is breaking out versus everything. Or another term, everything is breaking down versus Bitcoin. It's like the supernova that's sucking in everything else around it in terms of performance. Because, you know, the equity market, look at the S&P divided by Bitcoin. It's falling off a cliff. It's like, wow, gold, same. It's like, okay, this is interesting. Any commodity indices. I can't find anything that remotely looks as good except Ethereum, which I think in a short term time horizon, much like silver looked better than gold in the short term time horizon. Right. And it's just got me thinking. So then I thought in my head, it's like, yeah, but, but Bitcoin is a 50, 60 vol, 60 vol, and gold is 13 vol. So maybe it's just that. But then when I five times gold and do a little formula, still doesn't look any better mm. and then you think well yeah but gold you could take a lot more leverage because of that and then you think yeah but bitcoin's so superior why why would you not why could you not take leverage in that 
even though it's more volatile. I, I, I can't find a reason currently why it's not going to go up one or two hundred percent the rest of this year, knowing what we know about some issues in China going on, where I mean Hong Kong, you know, there's this issue with getting capital out of Hong Kong. We've got um, um, we've got the election. There's the fear of what happens to your money over the election. You know, who's going to get taxed? Who's not? What's there's a there's a whole number of other little swing factors. Plus the fact that that um, the U.S. has allowed Bitcoin as a um, the, the U.S. banks to custody Bitcoin, which allows basically hedge funds to own it in prime brokerage accounts. And uh, Bitcoin Mom, the woman who runs the SEC on this particular issue, has got back in until 2025. And there's some more legislation just got you know um, moved on by New York, basically. It's being set up for every single institution to buy it. And we get a chance to front run for once the financial market participants without them front running us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a place where retail can finally outcompete institutional because of the ability to, uh, you know, do that and access those markets more easily. Yeah. You know, Hester Pierce story, big news. Uh, so many thoughts to what you just said, Raoul. Um, it, it, I'm really looking forward, actually, to seeing your Bitcoin research and seeing it on a volatility-adjusted basis and uh, versus other asset classes. That's going to be really interesting. You know, it's really interesting to me when you we're talking about quantitative tightening in the Bitcoin space, and of course, the proponents of Bitcoin would say not just quantitative tightening, but programmatic quantitative tightening, quantitative tightening in a way that can't be meddled with by well, anyone outside the platform. If you think about what the Fed try and do, they try and give predictable forward guidance, right. which is always wrong. <laughs> Bitcoin has predictable forward guidance that is immutable. It will never change how the central bank of Bitcoin, i.e. the magic formula, continues. Yeah. So if you want forward guidance, it's perfect in every way. And the Fed is clearly not. Yeah, virtual, virtually immutable, except for the possibility of a substantial hard fork, which would break the the social culture and the contract around Bitcoin. So I don't think that's ever going to happen. So that immutability is something that uh, central banks around the world, uh, I guess, depending on your perspective, Ral, either envy or fear. In the end, there was a piece that I was sent today that was written by G30. So basically all the major countries in the world. And it was Ken Rogoff and everybody's involved. And it was just laying out the guidelines of where this is all going in terms of the central bank digital currencies. And A, they're going to be slower than we think, but B, they're coming and they have no idea how to integrate into all of the existing world, what it means, because nobody really knows how monetary policy is going to work. It's, it's a fascinating time. I can't express how much is changing uh, in the whole financial space. Um, you know, I've talked a long time about where macro and crypto were two different paths, but on the distant horizon, they were meeting. So when we first started Real Vision back in 2016, the horizon was some way there. We're right here, right now. The paths have collided and everything is coming to this moment. So anyway, so that's one yeah. of the reasons I'm extremely positive about Bitcoin. Um, just because it just makes so much sense at this particular moment in time.
Yeah, and Ethereum, uh, to your point earlier, has an entirely different set of dynamics that's driving it. With Ethereum 2.0 coming down the pike, uh, the massive rise in DeFi uh, and uh, and the use cases that are coming out that begin to uh, do a lot of things that we've been hearing about uh, digital currencies being able to do, but now actually being implemented uh, and perhaps in the near future potentially potentially being implemented at scale. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that whole world is exciting me. The dollar's been interesting me. And again, I've spoken many times about this period, this June, July, August, September, October, November period that concerns me in markets because we can see that it's not looking like anybody wants to do a deal. And that's because politics are getting in the way. Yeah. So we don't really know the true reasons, but from what I hear, it's mail-in voting. That's the issue. The Democrats will not allow anything to pass without mail-in voting. The Republicans don't want mail-in voting because it's basically will give the election to the Democrats. So you either sacrifice your population or you sacrifice the election. That's what's happening, I think. Um, and that's, you know, there's a, there's a guy on Twitter who's been talking a lot about this. I, th I think that's a very interesting thing. But now here we are and we've got benefits rolling off left, right and center. Yeah, and nothing to replace them, and it's not clear that there will be. So, I think this, considering the Fed also not in the equation, there's limited liquidity support in markets right now, um, and I think um, people should be, if they have been participating in the rally, be a little bit nervous, and because things like the dollar is the most oversold in history. Gold is the most overbought in all its history. Silver is the most overbought in all its history. And I'm bullish on you know, gold and silver. The chances of a sharp and nasty correction are very high. So people just need to be cautious and understand it's a quiet summer month with no Fed liquidity where they haven't passed stimulus ahead of an election. Normally, that would mean volatility. So I think people should just be cautious. Buy some puts. Buy some VIX calls. Do something. So you can sleep at night just to make sure. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, and I was just going to say, Rao, and yet. And yet, despite all of these headwinds, political headwinds, fiscal headwinds, uh, you know, the rise of viruses, you know, the rise of the virus that bounces up and down as uh, as the uh, reopening uh, and lockdown rolls on and off. And yet, despite all of this, S&P closing out the week, 33.51. Yeah, it tried to go down. It tried to go down and couldn't. And it's extraordinary. I mean, I, you know, I've not been trading. I haven't traded against it. The only position I've had is short banks, which rallied a lot today, but well within their very tight range. But it can continue like this. And that's OK. If you're participating, that's good. Maybe just own calls instead of owning futures or, you know, owning ETF. Just own calls. So then if it does fall, you just lose your premium. And I think we were talking about that today on the on the uh, Real Vision Pro call that everybody has access to this month is like, a lot of people have got gold, well, just switch gold exposure for, for calls. Because then if it does correct 5%, you're not gonna lose all your money. 
Um, well, you know, if it corrects 20%, a quick sharp 20%, which it could do, you know, you keep hold of it. So I think this is the time just to think about that. I'm not saying don't participate. Are you going to be wrong? No, all I'm saying is just be a little bit sensible to keep hold of some of the profits if you've made some profits. Yeah, and speaking of making profits, just for context, uh, from prior week, S&P up 2.4% on uh, 3271 last week's close and down only 1.2% from the all-time intraday high, 19 February 2020, of 33.93. Yeah, and Sven talked about this. It just closed the gap on the charts in the S&P in, in his long interview. Um, he talked about that gap and it's closed it. Um, I still, I'm using the Russell 2000 chart versus the Nikkei 1990, um, and they're still very similar to me. Uh, it would suggest that the market potentially can roll over here. Again, it's not a bet I'm taking. I'm just merely observing. You know, I'm still really, you know, interested in the bond market, which I think is an okay trade, not the best quality trade, interested in crypto, interested in the dollar still, and interested in precious metals. Well, when you look at that chart, Russell versus uh, versus the Nikkei 93. I can show it to you. I can yeah. show it to you, Ash. The wonders of technology. It's in, even in, better. It's the, in fact, the front page of GMI this this uh, month. It's that classic cra crash pattern chart. Um, why the Russell 2000? Because it's not skewed by a, a few stocks. So it's giving us the broad index. It's, you know. It's a decent match. It's been a decent match. And it also runs with the context of the S&P 2008, the S&P 2001, and, and also partly the 1929 chart. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to follow that way, but if it's going to roll over, it should roll over soon. And if it rolls over, all of those past experiences tend to mean that the downside comes quite quickly. Hence why, you know, some VIX calls or some S&P puts just in case that that works, not a bad idea. As opposed to taking that as the bet, just saying this is maybe a reason to hedge. Because all trades are correlated, because I'm telling you, if the equity market goes down, gold is going to go down, just for short term, just because everybody's over their ski tips and risk. Speaking of uh, people being over their ski tips, uh, talking of labor markets, another story that got a lot of buzz today, uh, obviously labor markets improving, from a very low base and nowhere near fast enough. What are your thoughts on that and how it ties in to the real economy versus asset prices? In the end, we still don't have a clean picture of what the structural unemployment is mm. because there's the stimulus, no stimulus. How many people are going to get washed back out of the for, at labor force once the PPP loan? You know, all of this needs to happen. I think we'll get a much better picture by September of where we really lie. Um, you know, my view is still that we'll probably finish the year down 5% in GDP growth and we'll have record unemployment for any other year outside of the Great Depression. So then it's a matter of how fast does it take to hire people back and get the economy back. I'm not sure it's going to recover large chunks of bits that have been lost. Yeah. Um, I think over time the economy will transition to a different economy with different things driving. But I think large chunks of this are, are never coming back. Yeah. 
You know, Raul, yesterday on RVDB, I talked to David Bonson, who is a great advocate of reopening. A very controversial piece if you read the comments. So much of what we're looking at when we think about labor markets, when we think about economic capacity, is driven by our ability to reopen the economy in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and whether or not we're able to do that is totally dependent in many ways uh, on what's happening with the science of the virus. Are the case counts going up? Do we have better treatments? Uh, are we able to manage social distancing in a way that permits people to go back physically into offices? These are open questions that are totally not settled. Yes. And the reality is it's all about human behavior. Yeah. Something I've talked here a lot about. Forget what you think it should be, what we should be doing. Everybody's got an opinion. I don't care. What it is, is what are people doing on aggregate? Yeah. Because that's what we do is we trade the macro economy. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.